For the last month, we've been discussing here the reality that every Christ, uh, Christmas character in the story uh, has a divine encounter, a heavenly encounter of some kind, and this is no different this morning. We're going to read a passage this morning that many of you probably have never heard from Luke chapter 2, 8 to 20. It's, it's a story about some shepherds, so I know you, you probably haven't heard this before, but my prayer is the story comes alive and that we encounter the living God as a result. So uh, Cindy Anton has graciously agreed to read the passage of the day for us. So Cindy, if you'll come on up to the platform. What we do here, and you're in a little more close quarters, some of you, than you're used to, but we turn and face the middle of the room. Uh, Luke 2, 8 to 20, this will sound familiar, but it's an amazing story. Cindy, when you're ready. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thanks so much, Cindy. You can have a seat. You know, there's a few more kids in here today since we weren't running our full-blown children's ministry. So, boys and girls, what I need to ask you today is a question. This is a tough question. I'm going to see if you can answer it, okay? What sound do sheep make? What was that? That's very good. And in that sound, old people, you hear basically what those shepherds were exposed to through an entire career. And boys and girls, if it gets boring up here, just start saying bah, bah. You say it loud enough, I'll stop, okay? That will give us a little reality. Anyone over 21 is not allowed to say bad, though. What's, what's fascinating about this story is it begins at work and it ends at work. And of all these other holy moments surrounding the God encounters, I, I don't know, and it would be really fascinating to hear your stories or not about the last time you had an encounter with God at work. It's, it's not what resonates with most of us because we don't know if God really does work when we're working. But I want you to think about that because that's where the story begins and that's where the story ends. 
And um, this is another story of another day at the office or another day in the field, or another day in the corral, or another day at school. This is just another day, rather night, night after night, week after week, month after month. For all we know, year after year, these shepherds pursued this predictable rhythm, this predictable pace, and predictable set of tasks. And I want you to live in that with the shepherds for just a moment or two and, and imagine this is just another night as you've had just another day from time to time at work or at school. And what's interesting, if you, if you study the, the reality of the shepherds and, and some of this uh, you're certainly familiar with, there were really two groups of shepherds, several flocks, but two types of shepherds that were tending the flocks uh, near Bethlehem. Bethlehem within six miles of Jerusalem, by the way. Uh, as the crow flies. These, this first group of shepherds, and I'd like to show you a picture actually from, uh, of a shepherd. This is literally uh, what you're looking at is Bethlehem in the distance today, or maybe 2,000 years ago, I'm not sure. The first group of shepherds were, um, and, and they, they tended the common flocks of, of near Bethlehem. And if you've heard of these, uh, folks before, ironically, you go there today and many shepherds are young women. Uh, often in the Bedouin community, it's the, the gals who do the shepherding. But these shepherds in Jesus' day, in general, had a dubious reputation. Often as they moved around the countryside, they had a tendency to confuse what was theirs with what was yours. And things turned up missing at times after shepherds have moved their flocks through farmland or grazing land. They were often, not always, but often considered unreliable, weren't even allowed to give testimony in the courts of those days. They struggled with ceremonial cleanliness. You know, back in the day, the Jewish people prioritized uh, ceremonial cleanliness. But due to the nature of the job, number one, they couldn't uh, go to church on Shabbat, the synagogue. They couldn't observe Sabbath or many of the other festival days to the letter. They often violated the ceremonial cleansing laws or other kosher laws that defined morality in Jesus' day to the Jewish people. And often, not always, often they were looked down upon as second-class citizens. Those were the common shepherds. There was another group of shepherds who watched the flocks near Bethlehem. And this information comes not from the Bible, but from the Mishnah, which is a Jewish uh, writing that summarized all of the Jewish oral tradition of the first century. And we get a, a lot of fascinating insight from this book and uh, several others. Uh, there was a second group of shepherds, and these were the shepherds that oversaw the flocks of sheep used in the sacrifice of lambs in the temple. Uh, these were not just any flocks or herds. These sheep were inspected, certified, and protected since they were used for temple sacrifice. And these shepherds were distinct from the other group of shepherds in that they had to be more concerned uh, about maintaining religious laws and ceremonial cleanliness because the quality of the sacrificial lambs they were raising and tending depended on it. They were kept... Uh, they were specifically trained for the task, and they were educated in what qualities an animal that was to be sacrificed had to be. And it was their job to make sure that none of the animals were hurt, damaged, or blemished. 
Shepherds of the temple flocks kept watch, and this is the key, this is where I'm going, at a place called, and maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, Migdal Eder. If you care, it's M-I-G-D-A-L, second word, E-D-E-R. Migdal Eder. There's a watchtower on this spot. And, and there's a picture we have of a watchtower, not saying this was the actual watchtower. But shepherds would guard their sheep uh, by standing on the ramparts of the watchtower, if not in the fields. And the words migdal adair literally mean the watchtower of the flock in Hebrew. And actually, while the, the sheep were outside 24-7 year-round, there was at one point in the course of a shepherd's day that they would enter into the tower with a sheep. And that was, they brought the birthing lambs into the tower. The birthing ewes, excuse me, into the tower. Um, interestingly, the temple-ready flocks and shepherds maintained a ceremonially clean stable within this tower. And also, interestingly, these lambs that would be destined for temple sacrifice were wrapped in something called, in English, swaddling cloths, so as to protect them from blemish, injury, or harm. Now, in the first century, in the times of Israel, most people were fairly convinced that the Messiah would be born in or near Bethlehem. And here's one of the statements, biblically, from Micah 5.2 that, that leans into that. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now understand, they anticipated the Messiah coming for the first time the way we anticipate Jesus coming for the second time. Variety of theories and ideas based upon scripture and extra biblical uh, material. But one of the common understandings, one of the dominant threads of Jewish culture is that when the Messiah was born, he would be born somewhere, if not in, directly in Bethlehem. A second follow-up common first century belief was that the Messiah was also possibly to be revealed at the tower called Migdal Adair. That when the Messiah came, he'd come at literally that location based on a verse in Micah 4 which said this, and you, Migdal Adair, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. The kingdom would be initiated at this place, was much of the common belief. So here's a theory for you this morning. Could it be possibly that when the Messiah came, as was predicted by the passages, Perhaps Mary and Joseph made it to the tower, Migdal Adair. This is the sign, said the angels. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is one of those great what ifs in conjunction with the story. What if it was the temple flock shepherds keeping watch over the temple flocks to whom God announced the birth of this messianic lamb, the lamb who would eventually take away the sin of the world. The angels announced that the Messiah would be born just down the road. The shepherds actually never asked directions. 
as the angels pronounce, hey, he's coming, and he's swaddling clothes in a manger, they never asked. Ever find that interesting? They didn't ask where the baby was born. Perhaps they already knew. They went to the place where automatically they would find the swaddling cloths. I'll leave you with those two options this morning. Common shepherds, temple flock shepherds. Regardless of either one, of which group of shepherds the angels appeared to, everything changed that night. And this was the Advent encounter with regards to the shepherds. Luke 2 said, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were terrified. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you great news, good news. And then and whatever your picture, you learn this as a child, boys and girls, when the angels show up you know, to the shepherds, are the angels in the sky? You see the angels in the sky? Or maybe they just walked up behind them. And then it'd say, boo, but it, you never know. Because angels walked around and talked to people in the Bible, in the Old Testament. But, so maybe they were in the sky, or maybe they just all of a sudden looked, turned around, and there was an angel standing next to them. And then there were lots and lots, lots and lots of what they call a heavenly host. We'll just picture them as angels this morning. And they were praising God. It's like a choral reading. They weren't singing. They were saying, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, implying to these shepherds, whether they be common shepherds or select shepherds, you are the ones that have been chosen to be part of the story. And the glory of the Lord showed up and the shepherds encountered, encountered the messengers of God. Wouldn't it be awesome to see an angel just once in the midst of the darkness of life when we just need something to hold on to and something to grasp? Wouldn't it be just amazing once to see an angel, let alone a heavenly host? The story of Christmas is about God encounters. This story, the glory of the Lord surrounds them. I'll let your imagination work and weave your own picture. It's the glory of the Lord that Christmas is about and often what we tend to settle for is blinking Christmas lights. And those are cute, they're nice, and I'm not knocking it if you put some up in your house. But how often do we settle for the blinking lights of Christmas and not seek the glory? This is way too much information on this subject. But I wanted to see what the Guinness World Record for lights, Christmas lights was. And I'm going to give you a, you've heard the history of hymns, Christmas carols. This is the history of Christmas lights in the record. It was 2001 and a family from Australia set the Guinness World Record for the most holiday lights on a house and in a yard. And I don't want everybody shouting but just guesstimate what that number would be. What would you think? Your neighbor probably you're th saying is close to that. 331,000 lights. Now for those of you that put up lights, just go home and count and multiply times 100,000 perhaps. The family's record stood for over a decade. 
until in 2012, a family, a fellow named Tim Gay and his family from LaGrangeville, New York, I want to give LaGrangeville credit because they've had to deal with this ever since. They bested the Richards record. They decorated their house with 346,283 lights. Imagine being that guy's neighbor. The Australians couldn't stand to be in second place, so they immediately upped the ante the next year and put up over 502,000 lights. Now, NASA could see this place from outer space, not really. By the way, if you're counting, that equates to over 29 miles of cord. But the good news of the gospel this morning is that America triumphs once again. We're making America great again. There's always room for more lights, so in 2014, to one-up the Aussies, the Gay family in New York put on a display of 601,736 lights. And yes, I do have pictures. Here's a couple. This is only a couple of six different angles of their property. And yes, they live in a neighborhood. But um, are you impressed or what? Six, I know someone in this room will have a divine encounter and be led to top that Guinness record in the immediate future. And I just, I, I, tongue in cheek, of course, um, you know, one of the issues for us, one of the challenges of the Christmas season is we've swapped the glory of God with the glitz and pace of the holiday season. And I'm not sure we expect the glory of God. I wonder if we, and we've been here, we, we do this every year like clockwork, four consecutive Sundays, we, we, we sing the story, sing the songs, read the stories, but do we have an anticipation that somehow, somehow in the privacy of our hearts, if not a heavenly host, that God will show up and speak to us and create this holy moment? We're running out of time in terms of the Advent season. We've only got 24 hours left. God better show up soon, right? In the midst of the busy season, we anticipate Tylenol more than we anticipate an encounter with God. So, the angel says, a savior has been born. He's the Messiah, the Lord. The savior has been born. The savior. It's the Christ, translated Messiah. He's the one. There's never been a culture in the history of humanity that's anticipated a messianic figure more so than the Jews. And that moment, anticipated by centuries, was on the front doorstep, or literally, in the manger. This is the one that would usher in the time of blessing. This is the one that everyone anticipated would overthrow Rome. This is the one who would usher in a, a, an era of healing, of national unity, probably tax reform along with that. And you will find the babe, says the angel, in swaddling cloths, lying in a feed trough. And I don't know what the words are in Hebrew, but a shepherd said, say what? Are you kidding me? The one? A feeding trough? 
And maybe the angel had to spell manger to the shepherds again. I don't know. My guess is that if someone other than an angel told them to look for that specific sign, they might never have wandered off to find it. It was this amazing encounter and study in contrasts. And there were two responses by the shepherds that day. First of all, they spread the word. Again, I won't even expand upon that lesson. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. What would you do if you were encountering a heavenly host of angels and they told you the the one was here in swaddling cloths in a manger? You wouldn't keep your mouth shut. And so we have to believe in the vicinity of Bethlehem, that that tower, Migdal Adair, if that's where the temple shepherds were located, it was literally on the outskirts of the town of Bethlehem. Did they go into the village of Bethlehem? Did they journey quickly to Jerusalem to spread the word? We don't know where they spread the word. We don't know to whom, but they spread the word. And I wonder if they were the flocks of dubious reputation or the shepherds of dubious reputations, if anyone believed what they were saying. So they spread the word. The second response was they just went back to work. They went back to work. The shepherds returned, implied to the fields, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I find it fascinating, so many things about this story, but one of which is those shepherds didn't change careers and become missionaries to Egypt. They didn't publish a book. They didn't go on speaking tours. They just returned to the fields. But they went back to work, and I don't know, Scripture doesn't give us the detail. What do you think? Were they changed at all? Were they transformed by their encounter with the angels, with Mary, Joseph, the newborn Savior of the world? See, for most of us, a divine encounter won't change where we live life, but how we live it. But it will change us. Whether monumental, again, whether it's the heavenly host or that still small voice, that nudge of the Holy Spirit that says, can't keep going this direction or affirming the direction we've already gone. But something will happen. That divine encounter may not change our external situations, but it could change our hearts. It could change how we look at the future. Someday, uh, the other side of earth here in heaven. I I hope those shepherds are there. Wouldn't it be really cool to quiz the shepherds about what really went down that night? I wonder what changed for the shepherds the way they looked at a manger for starters. They could never look at a manger again and not think of this holy moment. Perhaps it was the way they looked at the stars, the way they anticipated the future the way they looked at sheep. The Christmas story from that moment to this one is about people just like us that encountered God in a variety of ways. And this is such a unique moment, isn't it? We've got Christmas on the brain. If we didn't already, there's packages under that tree over there. You know, there's food to be had. Family and friends are visiting. It's gonna be an amazing day. 
But my prayer for you today and moving forward out of the Advent season is that maybe revisiting the story one more time allows you to experience the presence of God and to hear his voice. Maybe some, at some point beyond this season, uh, perhaps it, you're, you're ready to see for the first time how God might act, how my, God might work through you and in you. But I would even suggest before we leave, just ask, God, what do you want me to hear from this story? What do you want me to see? What are you calling me to be? Where do I go from here if I encounter you? What do you want me to bring forward out of the essence of this season of hope and joy and peace and love into my circle of influence and beyond? I wish for us, I truly do, that one Sunday a heavenly host would show up. We have the earthly host. But what would it mean to see what the shepherds saw that night? Until then, we want to sensitize ourselves to the way God seems to act through his spirit, touching one of us at a time, calling us to a new place, bringing healing to us in the midst of a very difficult moment in our lives, allowing us to comprehend we're part of his plan in many ways just as the shepherds were that night. My parting shot to you this morning, my parting encouragement is whether your God encounter is monumental or momentary, I pray that you'll experience his presence somewhere, somehow, in a way that motivates you to give him the glory because he's at work in you. Let's pray. God, we wouldn't mind an encounter right now If you have something to say to us, give us ears to hear. For those that are hurting this morning, maybe this God encounter is simply a sense that your spirit brings his peace that passes human understanding and you know whatever the issue, whatever the challenge, whatever the strife, it will be well because you are still in control. Lord, if we're going through the motions of the daily routine as perhaps the shepherds were and simply need to infuse new purpose into what we do and where we work and where we go to school, Lord, I pray that you'll just bring your presence. Lord, bring your presence into the hearts and minds of this group of people so we know, so we know that you care and shape our lives and the lives of the people we know and love. Father, we thank you so much for this story that's more than a story for boys and girls. This is our story. We're living it. And Lord, we praise you for sending your son to redeem us, to transform us. 
on this incredible weekend. In Christ's name we pray, amen.